great passage of scripture following on as Rohan spoke about the great miracles of Jesus last week. Let's pray as we come to this. Father, open up your word to us. Open up Jesus to us by the power of your spirit as we look at this. Give us discerning minds and soft hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Metaphor. We use them all the time. My car is a lemon. We might say it's not really a lemon. I don't drive around a little yellow fruit. My car's not a lemon anyway. Um, But, you know, that's a metaphor. A simile, my car is like a lemon. Similes are good, but I don't think they're as powerful most of the time as metaphors. Metaphors evoke imagination. They make us think, you know, there's an elephant in the room. Oh, yeah, there is. We all know about the elephant in the room. One of the risks that you can use if you use metaphors too much so is that they can become a bit blasé. They can lose their power with familiarity. You know, I lose my keys. I say, Anna, where are my keys? She says, you're as blind as a bat, John. And she's right. But, you know, I'm not really blind as a blind bat. It's just a metaphor to say, come on, look. The passage today has the first of seven I am statements that Jesus uses in John's Gospel. And most of them are metaphors. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine, says Jesus. There's four of them. The problem with these metaphors is we can, we can become, if you've heard them many times before, so familiar with them that you miss their power and you treat them a little bit like similes. So Jesus says, oh, I'm kind of like the light of the world. But that's not what Jesus says. Today we have a very powerful metaphor. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And my hope this morning is to help us perhaps discover for the first time or rediscover the power of that metaphor. So that as we leave, none of us are in any doubt that Jesus is the bread of life. If you want to understand the force of what Jesus says, you really need to look at what leads up to his statement And what leads up to it is Jesus at this stage in his ministry is incredibly popular. Crowds are coming to see him because they want to see the signs that he's been performing. He's healing the sick. He's doing amazing things. Jesus withdraws from these crowds and he goes up onto a mountain or a large hill with his disciples. But it's a remote place, but the crowds follow him up the hill. And there he performs another sign. He takes five small loaves and two fishes and he gives thanks and he begins to break them into pieces and with those five loaves and two fishes he feeds 5,000 men plus the others. It's incredible. Can you imagine? A little bit like maybe Carol's in the Domain. Everybody's sitting on the grass, thousands and thousands of people. Over in the side there, you can see the miracle worker with some food. What's he doing? We're hungry. 
He's told us all to sit down and what happens, it's kind of like those wedding receptions or those work events you've been to perhaps where suddenly people start walking around with food for you to eat. And if you've ever been in one of those events, usually I'm like, like I'm hungry now. I better go because it might run out. So come this way. Oh, I've got my hors d'oeuvre. That's good, you know. And then someone else walks past. Oh, that's good. And then someone else walks past. Oh, that's good. And, and they're all hungry getting the food because it might run out, but the food keeps coming. And if you've ever been at one of those receptions where there's oodles of food, you know you get tired of it because you get full and the food keeps coming. Fish, protein and bread, good food. And everyone's sitting with their friends on the grass and it's sunny and they're laughing and they're talking and it's amazing. What a day. They're getting fuller and fuller. I'm sorry, I can't have another bite. At the end of the day, they collect the scraps, 12 basketfuls of scrap. Everybody has had more than enough. Verse 14 of chapter 6. People saw the signs Jesus performed. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. They wanted to make Jesus king. This is a public sign that Jesus is indeed their promised Messiah. He is their saviour. He is providing food for God's people. So great is this day that Jesus again withdraws. The night time comes. And his disciples get in a boat and they start rowing across the lake. A storm comes up in the middle of the night and Jesus also departs but they meet him in the middle of the lake as he walks towards them on the water. This is a private sign. No one else but the disciples see this but this is incredible. Jesus has power over the natural elements. He can even walk on water. This is the Son of God. This is God with us. It's a sign. The disciples see and even they struggle. Next morning, the crowd wakes up. It's the day after a huge feast. Oh, wasn't that good. Where's Jesus gone? Verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realised that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. They're a little bit like groupies. Where's he got, where have they gone? I've got to follow. Where's Jesus? Off they go. They come to Capernaum. You can just see them all running around the city or the town, and one of them says, I found him. Everyone goes, he found him, they found him, and they gather around Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Oh, there's a mystery here. We don't know how you got away, because the boat thing and all that, but we missed you. And they've been to an enormous effort. They followed him up the mountain. They followed him. Well, where's he gone? down to the lake. Well, let's jump in a boat. I think he's gone over there. Across the lake. 
into Capernaum. Where is he? They're putting in a lot of effort to find Jesus. So what's the big attraction? Well, Jesus has an opinion. Verse 26, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. See, signs point. They tell you something. What did Jesus' signs that he was performing, what did they point to? They pointed to the fact that here is your Messiah, here is the Saviour, here is your Lord, your King. But actually the signs pointed and these people thought they were seeing a McDonald's sign. 30 kilometres to McDonald's and then you get there and there's this enormous sign with a big yellow M. And what are you excited about? Are you excited about the signs? Wow. Are you excited about the kitchen? You may not be excited, but if you're hungry and you're driving, maybe you are. No, you're excited about filling your belly. That's what the sign's pointing to. They thought Jesus was a McDonald's sign. Hey, fill our belly again. They came down the mountain, they crossed the lake for another party. Will you do it again? Will you satisfy our appetite? We were full yesterday, but that was yesterday and we've done a lot of work and we're hungry today. Jesus tells them the point of the signs. Verse 27, he says, Do not work for food that spoils. The signs aren't pointing to McDonald's. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus is saying, I'm the issue here and who I am, and I'm offering you something far more satisfying than your next feed. The food that I am offering you will endure to eternal life because I am your Saviour, I am your Lord, I am the Son of Man whom God the Father has approved. But they don't get it. They asked him, what, what, what do we need to do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. You don't need to do anything. You just need to believe in me. You can almost hear them cogitating. What's he talking about? How's believing in him going to make my belly full? Give me what I want. Yesterday was good, but we're here for something better so why should we believe in you so they asked him what sign will you give us that we may see it and then believe in you and believe in you what will you do our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written he gave them bread from heaven to eat 
See, under Moses in the Exodus, for 40 years, the children of Israel travelled in the wilderness and God provided manna. He provided food for them day after day after day. Now, if you're the Messiah, beat that today. Another sign, please. We had bread and fish yesterday. We'd like a bit of caviar or pizza or something better today. And frankly, they're hungry. And I get that. I get hungry. Every day I get hungry. You know, and if I'd eaten well on the mountain, by the time I'd travelled down the mountain, across the lake, into the city, man, I'd be hungry. I'm an itinerant groupie. You're the fooder person. And I'd probably be saying, do it better, do it again, but do it better this time if you really are what you say, the son of man. If so, do it better, do it again. But they miss the point. They miss understand Jesus' signs and his messianic claims. In fact, what they really fail to do is they fail to comprehend their real hunger. The hunger that gnaws away at each and every one of us every single day. A hunger that is completely independent of how much we eat or how much we experience. You see, I I have had the pleasure of having gone to some outstanding restaurants and eaten the best food and thought that was was expensive, but that was so good. I have had the pleasure of in this very building eating the most outstanding food in abundance. Am I satisfied? That's enough. I don't need to worry anymore. Just bread and water will do for the rest of my life. I'm not satisfied. And it's not just food. You ever driven a new car? Ever bought a new car? I never have, but you know, I'm sure many of you have. Bought a new car. Oh, it's so nice. Are you satisfied six months later? Have you ever had that pay rise, that promotion? And are you satisfied? Have you ever had the holiday that beats all holidays? I never need to see anything else again. We're never filled. We're never satisfied. There is a deep hunger that never goes away because we're never satisfied in this life. Let me tell you about William Somerset Maugham. I get this, got this story from Kent Hughes. In the 1930s, he was the world's most famous novelist and playwright. He had four plays going on the West End, London's West End at one time, There was cartoons saying maybe he'll be greater than Shakespeare. Novels of human bondage, play, The Constant Wife. You think about, this was in the day of books. You think about J.K. Rowling now being good, well, William Somerset Maugham being big. William Somerset Maugham in his day was bigger. He wrote more books and this was the age where the book ruled. No TV, little radio. In 1965, at 91 years of age, he was fabulously wealthy. The royalties were just kept pouring in for his books. He had a house on the French Riviera on 15 acres of land looking over the Mediterranean in Millionaire's Row. His fame was still rising. He would get 300 fan letters a week 
And he hadn't written a word in years. The London Times in April 9, 1978, carried a story by his nephew, Robin Morn, who visited his uncle in his 91st year, not long before his death, at his villa on the Mediterranean in the Riviera. This is what Robin writes. I looked around the drawing room at the immensely valuable furniture and pictures and objects that Willie's success had enabled him to acquire. I remembered that the villa itself and the wonderful gardens I could see through the window, a fabulous setting on the edge of the Mediterranean, was worth some £600,000 in 1965. Willie had some 11 servants including his cook, Annette, who was the envy of all the other millionaires on the Riviera. He dined on silver plates, waited on by Marias, his butler, and Henri, his footman, but it no longer meant anything to him. The following afternoon, I found Willie reclining on his sofa, peering through his spectacles at a Bible which had very large print. He looked horribly wizened, and his face was grim. I've been reading the Bible you gave me and I've come across the quotation What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I must tell you, my dear Robin, that the text used to hang opposite my bed when I was a child. Of course, it's all a load of bunk. But the thought is quite interesting all the same. That evening in the drawing room after dinner, Willie flung himself down on the sofa. Oh, Robin, I'm so tired. He gave a gulp and buried his head in his hands. I've been a failure my whole way through life, he said. I've made mistake after mistake. I've made a hash of everything. I tried to comfort him. You're the most famous writer alive. Surely that means something. I wish I'd never written a single word, he answered. It's brought me nothing but misery. Everyone who has got to know me well has ended up hating me. Which, if you read his life story, is largely true. My whole life has been a failure and now it's too late to change. It's too late! Willie looked up and his grip tightened on my hands. He was staring towards the floor, his face contorted with fear and was trembling violently. Well, his face was ashen as he stared with horror ahead of him. Suddenly he began to shriek. Go away, he cried. I'm not ready. I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet, I tell you. His high-pitched, terror-struck voice seemed to echo from wall to wall. I looked around, but the room was empty. There's, there's no one here, Willie. Willie began to gasp hysterically. His life was empty. He was afraid to die. Within months he would pass away. He had everything you could ever want. Every appetite in this world could be fulfilled, but he was a shell, he was empty. Is this all? the preacher in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes 
chapter 1, verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Chapter 2. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what, good, what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me, I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward of all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind, Nothing was gained under the sun. Verse 17, so I hated my life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. There is a hunger for more. There is a hunger for satisfaction. There is a hunger for meaning. There is a hunger for acceptance and a place that lasts and our hunger is haunted by the shadow of the grave which is the leveller of all mankind. The person on the streets in the CBD, the person in Vaucluse levelled completely. It's the ultimate emptiness. It's the great famine. It's the real hunger. And Jesus has crowds chasing after him, busting a gut and saying, fill us up. Give us a sign. Throw us another party. Show us that you're worth trusting. And Jesus responds and says, okay. That's why I've come. I've come to satisfy you. I've come to fill you up. I've come to satiate your hunger. I am offering you food that lasts. In verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. He says, I'm offering something better than the manna in the wilderness that came with Moses. Verse 32, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, 
It's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, life to all people. But they don't get it. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Give us this magical bread that gives us life. These wafers maybe, we want it and we want it now. Fill our bellies. And then we have our metaphor. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In chapter 4, Jesus spoke to a woman in Samaria at a well. He said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, it will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Jesus says, I'm going to satisfy you. He's speaking about what the Isaiah, the prophet, promised. Isaiah chapter 55, the Lord says, Come to me, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy with no money, free Wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest fare. Jesus says, that's me. You will find absolute satisfaction and all you must do is believe in me, in who I am. You must, to use our phrase, hear, believe and obey. And you will be satisfied. You will be filled. Can it be that simple? When when all of our appetites yearn for so much more, we're always hungry. Can it be that simple that you just have to believe in Jesus to be filled? Well, let me share two related stories. Jack Welsh was CEO of General Electric from 1981 to 2001, 20 years. During that time, the stock of GE rose 4,000%. He was an incredibly successful CEO. He has become an icon. He is incredibly wealthy. He's written books. He's on speaking tours, speaking at Harvard Business Schools and other things. He's enormously respected. He has enormous fame. He is a business guru. Jack Welsh, look him up. You probably may have already encountered him. He had two failed marriages, but apart from that, he has been the American dream writ large. But he got sick. He had to have bypass surgery, and a reporter asked him after his surgery if he'd had an epiphany during that process, because bypass surgery is pretty serious stuff to get through. Jack Walsh's response was, I should have spent more money. He vowed that he would never let a bottle of wine costing less than $100 cross his lips again. Yes, that's my epiphany from realising my mortality. I should spend more money. Do you think if Jack Welsh drank, let's keep him moderate in his drinking, say he drank $400 worth of wine every week. Do you think he's satisfied? Do you think now my life is complete? 
I better quaff as much of this expensive plonk as I can because I'm going to die one day. Let me tell you the second story. There's this guy whose name is Ben Wong. He's a family man. He's been in um, social housing and development of that and policy around that. Uh, Living in the suburbs of Sydney, he's an elder in his local church, which just happens to be this church. And he got sick. And he needed bypass surgery. And it's been a rough recovery. He had it on Wednesday. It's been a rough recovery and it's a long way to go. But through Marie, his wife, I asked if he had any thoughts post his bypass surgery. And these are them verbatim. Life and death is dependent upon God's sovereign will. God is in charge. After my bypass, I'm going to be seeking a closer relationship with God. I want to serve him more and I want to have a more Christ-centred focus in my life. Does it make a difference? I actually want to know God and trust him more because he's in control and my life is okay with him and I want to grow with him and serve with him. That's what I want. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. It's a metaphor, right? Don't take it too seriously because it's just a metaphor. Don't be too familiar with it. That's a statement of majesty. There is a hunger that only Jesus can fill. It's a hunger for life. It's a hunger to be free from the tyranny of death. It's a hunger for purpose. It's a hunger to be forgiven and right. It's a hunger we cannot satiate, but Jesus can. For he is the bread of life. And all we need to do is take hold of him by faith, by believing in him, by hearing, believing and obeying, and discovering, as many can testify, that he does meet our every needs the more we lean on on him and trust in him that he indeed is our satisfaction he is our anchor for the soul and so a challenge to go with do you need Jesus like you need lunch today we've got a great morning tea ready for us I've seen you do you need Jesus more than you need that morning tea One of the great things about fasting is it says, I need you, Lord Jesus, more than I need food today. That's why you fast. I need God more than food and he satisfies me. Do you prefer hamburgers and Hainanese chicken rice to your relationship with the living God? When the hunger pangs strike, is it okay? Whatever those hunger pangs may be. Is he more important than your car or your clothing or your sexual experience or your status or your job or your home or your investments? Is Jesus my all in all? Is he the bread of life? Is his metaphor your 
reality. Jesus is the bread of life. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for loving us so much to send your Son to pay the price for our sins and offer us life eternal, life restored. Help us to find our satisfaction in Jesus and cast off the cares of this world in light of the surpassing greatness of knowing you. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.